let me start with this, you know, today. Uh, I loved uh, wrestling with my uh, two uh, boys. I actually loved it. It was something that I would always look forward to. They would come to me and say, Dad, let's wrestle. Now, um, I don't do it as much today because I have a 16-year-old that plays football and it hurts, you know, um, afterwards for, for me, not for him. So we kind of, you know, have toned that down a little bit. But uh, probably when uh, my older son was eight, my younger son was four, uh, we would wrestle and one of them would say, Dad, let's wrestle. He'd be like, yeah, let's go do it. So I would jump on the bed, I'd get down on all fours, and they would just dogpile me. And uh, with an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, uh, I had to consciously think in my mind, who did I have in which arm? Because my eight-year-old was twice as heavy as my four-year-old. So I was just constantly trying to think, well, I only made one mistake. And uh, one time, my four-year-old was in my right arm, and I thought my eight-year-old was. So I used a little extra strength, and I chucked him you know, um, into our nightstand. He hit the back of his head, and he goes onto the ground. And I said what many dads would say. I said, be tough, be tough, be tough. And he's looking at me going, <laughs> you know, like, come on, you can do it. He's like, oh, okay. And so we started wrestling for literally 15 more seconds until I looked at my hands and realized there was blood all over them. And I said, everybody stop. I said, there's, there's something going on here. We got to figure this out right now. It didn't take long to realize that Alex had cut his head, you know, on the back of it, a nice gash. And if you've ever had a head wound, you know how much they bleed. It looked like a murder scene on our bed, you know, set. And so um, all that joy, all that laughter, all that excitement, you know, turned to anxiety and stress. It was gone in a moment. 15 minutes later, we're in urgent care and he is getting staples in the back of his head. And CPS let me keep my kids. So I appreciate that. <laughs> but isn't that true of life, right? All of us want joy. We want peace. Uh, we want you know, a calm in our lives. And yet it seems so fleeting. It seems so hard to keep or to attain. It's almost like that's still pond in our lives. And it just takes a pebble to disrupt all that work to get us to that peace. Uh, I mean, it, if you woke up today and you're feeling good and you're feeling peaceful and then you get a text message and you're like, there goes the peace. Uh, you look at the news, you know, uh, I was having some peace. I was excited, you know, today until somebody told me backstage of what's taking place in Sri Lanka. Over 200 people have lost their lives through bombings that have taken place at churches and other, other places on this Easter morning. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, oh, there, there it goes again. It may be a conversation you know, that you might have with someone else, and you know how fleeting it is, and I think you can understand and relate to that experience being gone in an instant. Uh, we search and make plans for peace. Uh, it's called the weekend and vacation. We try to capture this time, work so hard so that we can have a moment's rest, a moment of solitude, a silence of calmness, uh, unless you go on what's called a family trip. We call it a family trip because it's not really a vacation. Uh, you come back just as stressed as when you left. But if you ever get the moments, the hours, the days as you're on a vacation of that peace, of that calm, then you get back on that plane, get back in that car, and as you're driving back or you're flying back, it begins to hit you all the stuff that's waiting for you upon your return. And all that hard work to get that peace, to get that calm, to get that relaxation, again, goes right out the window. So let's be real this morning. We all have stress and anxiety in our lives. Now, even right now, uh, some of you are experiencing financial stress or relationship stress or work stress and anxiety or health stress that are taking place in you or someone that you love or you know. Uh, some of you are starting to get stressed out because you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with Easter? What does it have to do with the resurrection? So just hold on with me. It's going to take us a few minutes, but I promise that we'll get there. 
Chances are you or someone you know struggles majorly with anxiety. In fact, in America today, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. In a given year now, 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, a phobia, or other forms of great anxiety. Anxiety disorders in the U.S. is the number one mental health problem among women and second only to porn, alcohol, and drug abuse among men. The United States is now the most anxious nation in the world, yet we have all these resources that could help combat that, and yet we still find ourselves as the most anxious nation in the world. It's not even close. The question for many of us is not that we will experience worry or stress and anxiety, but how do we deal with it? I mean, what do you do when you know that stress begins to build up? Uh, one of the things that I was encouraged to do is we had a staff person who had a daughter and made some of these for me. These are called what? Stress balls. Problem is she made like six of them because I kept breaking them. You know, as I go through, it's almost like a, a competition and it, uh, that I would try to break. And, and the, the harder ones I don't like because I can't break them. So it just makes me more stressed and I just have to put it down. <laughs> you know, I call them the stress balls because it makes you more stressed. Now, some of you uh, do healthy things like you go and work out. You're like, okay, that reduces some of the stress in your lives, and, and, and it works to some extent. Some of you begin to eat better. Uh, uh, some of you go on long walks, or you talk to a friend, and just by talking it out, it actually makes you feel a little better. Some of you spend time meditating. Others praying, reading God's Word. Uh, some of you go on medication, because if it's more serious, you, you do that combined with some major counseling to help reduce some anxiety and stress, and these are some of the healthy ways to deal with it. But if we're honest, some of us uh, deal with stress in not so healthy ways. We, we want to run away. We want to isolate. And so we run immediately to our phones. That's why we're on the phone so much is because we're trying to get our mind off of whatever it is that we're stressed out about for just a few moments. Some of us uh, binge watch Netflix and we want to just kind of bury ourselves in that. Again, trying not to think about or deal with whatever it is going on in our heart and mind. Some of us run to the refrigerator and we eat our stress. It just makes us feel better. We're just trying to find some relief from the suffering that we're feeling on the inside, which is why some of us go to alcohol or drugs, sex, porn, or even some of our teenagers are beginning to do self-harm because it's a way to alleviate some of the stress because they've never learned how to cope with some of the stress that they're feeling or going through. What do you run to if you're honest? What do you go to when you're having those feelings of stress or anxiety? Uh, since I know we all deal with stress or anxiety, it's been put on my heart a while ago that we were going to take the next five weeks, including today, and we're going to talk through what it means to deal with, to go through stress or anxiety. And we believe that God has a lot to say about what this looks like, which is why we're going to take so much time to do it. In fact, I'd recommend a book that was very impactful to my life from Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing which is what we're basing this series on. But what Max does is he, he, he points out in our Bible's book of Philippians, it's in the New Testament, uh, he points out six verses that he walks through about what God has to say about how we go through and how we deal with anxiety. And so I hope you'll consider joining us as we go on this journey together. Uh, by the way, I don't want to overpromise something. I don't want to tell you by the time we get through these next four or five weeks together that by the end, you're going to be stress-free anxious for nothing. The reality is you're still going to deal with stress. We're just trying to provide it, maybe a different approach, a different way through. Uh, nor will we say just simply just stop it and pray. You know, just pray and everything's going to go away. Just stop it, you know, and you'll be, you'll be just fine. We're going to actually try to dive a little deeper than that. But before we do, we need to back up. We need to define what is anxiety? 
Uh, Webster says this, anxiety is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or an uncertain outcome. I think a, a better way to say it is this, anxiety is a meteor shower of what ifs. Ever played that game in your mind? Uh, where uh, whatever it is that, that's taking place in here is a perceived reality of not what's true, but it's creating you so much stress and anxiety in the moment of what might or what could or what if. It's like my son who might get a bad grade. He gets an F on a paper. Well, well, what if he gets an F on a paper and then he fails a class? And if he fails a class, he might not graduate from high school. If he doesn't graduate from high school, he's not going to go to college. He's not going to go to college. He's going to end up on the street. He's on the street. He's going to go and have to steal and I'm going to visit him in prison. That's the what if game. And as silly as that sounds, when you talk out to other people about what's taking place in your own mind, you find yourself worked up about something that's not really taking place, but it's a perceived reality, which is not true. In fact, there are companies that understand this about, especially the American mindset, which is why DirecTV came out with a series of commercials of the what if game. That if you don't do this, then this could happen, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. And we laughed and we enjoyed it, but there was a sense of truth about how we as Americans think. In fact, go ahead and watch the screen so I can show you what I mean. When your cable goes out, you get stressed. When you get stressed, you need to get away. When you need to get away, you go for something exotic. When you go for something exotic, you get bitten by something exotic. When you get bitten by something exotic, things swell up. When things swell up, you can't go home. And when you can't go home, you become a local fisherman they call Big Fatty Face. Don't become a local fisherman they call Big Fatty Face. <laughs> right? Don't be the local fisherman called Big Fatty Face. You don't want to become that. So obviously, you've got to get rid of your cable and go with DirecTV, because otherwise, all these things could potentially the what-if game begins to happen, right? When we play the what-if game, we are part Chicken Little and Eeyore all wrapped up in one. It's the sky is falling, and it's falling disproportionately on me. That's anxiety. And so anxiety and fear are cousins, but they're not twins. They're cousins, but not twins. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines ones. Uh, fear uh, results in fight or flight. Uh, for example, anxiety creates doom and gloom. Fear is the pulse that pounds when you see a recoiled rattlesnake in the front of your yard while you are barefoot. You have fear that begins to pulse in your veins. Anxiety, though, is the voice that tells you from that moment on, never ever for the rest of your life walk barefooted through the grass. There might be a snake somewhere. One's fear, one's anxiety. Anxiety takes our breath, our sleep, our energy, our well-being. It twists us into emotional pretzels. It makes our eyes twitch. Blood pressure rises. Headaches and armpits begin to sweat profusely. How do I know this? Because this has been my struggle the last two years. I figured you know, it was really important for me to explain to you what my journey has been like as we kind of go through this series. And it actually started uh, probably four or six years uh, before that. I was on an, um, an airplane, you know, from uh, Phoenix to Las Vegas and Las Vegas to come up here. And I used to enjoy flying. It was something I had no issue with, no problem, but it was the most turbulent flight of my life. It, I knew it was bad when the flight attendants are getting sick, uh, when there literally were people throwing up around me, and I was this close as well. And you land, and you're just like, that was awful. That was a terrible experience. So then we take off, we head, you know, up to Spokane. I didn't notice 
until the next time I flew on my way out of Spokane that something was different, something had changed. For when we hit a little bump, and I'm not talking about turbulence, I'm just talking about just a normal little bump, my body began to respond. And my mind began to argue with my body, and I began to sweat profusely, and, and my heart began to race, and my legs were going numb, and I'm turning the air on as high as I can, and there's no turbulence that's taken place. And later on, a doctor and a counselor would tell me that that was called a panic attack. And so uh, since that time, I've struggled with getting on planes and going places. I never let it stop me, but I would try what everything that everybody would tell me to try in order to help get through, you know, a plane flight. Many people had many essential oils that they wanted me to try <laughs> to get on these plane flights. And so I tried many things, and some of the things have actually lessened on some of the plane flying. Essential oils wasn't one of them, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, some of them have actually helped me get through, you know, some of, some of the, the, the plane flying, the different things. But it became alarming when two years ago, it was before a funeral service here at the church, that I experienced the same phenomenon in my office. And it was then I began to get angry at myself. My mind was saying, there's nothing wrong. Why are you responding this way? And I could not get my body to listen to my mind. And so I was stuck in this turmoil. And then it started playing itself out in other conversations, sometimes before a sermon, sometimes before conflict conversations, sometimes at home, sometimes just stress in general. So I came to our elders a little over a year ago, and I said, guys, uh, I, I can't solve this. I can't, you know, get rid of this. And so they lovingly have walked me through a journey that has involved professional counseling, that has involved, you know, them and other people going deep into the well and just being open and honest about that. And it has involved, actually, medication as well. And I'd be the first pastor to tell you that it's always okay to get on medication. One of the ways that God can kind of help and use that to help us to get over things, but it feels different when it's me. I don't know if you've ever been there, because uh, I just keep thinking, I'm like, man, don't I have enough faith? Don't I, don't I pray enough? Isn't, isn't this supposed to be something different in my life? And so I share this to you because I know this is hard for me to do, but I think it's the right thing to do because I think we need to live by what our name on the outside says about our church. It's Valley Real Life. And I hope it's okay being your pastor and understanding that this is a struggle. I wish I could tell you today, and because on this resurrection morning, I am set free, but I'm not. I'm better than what I was a year ago, and I'm on a great journey of health and healing, but it is something that I continue to wrestle with. And I think part of the reason is because some of us I was one of those people. I used to think that being a Christian would exempt us from worry and anxiety, and it's just not so. We were taught, maybe we were younger, if you've been in church for a while, that the Christian life is a life of peace, which it is, but we don't have peace, and so we assume that the problem lies within us, so not only do we feel anxious, but we also feel guilty about our anxiety. And I don't think, especially of the research that I've done, that I'm alone in this room with this issue. I wonder for a second if you're aware of the most highlighted verse in the Bible. You might think, because you've seen on TV these signs that say John 3.16, that must be the most highlighted verse in the Bible, and it's not even close. By far, the most highlighted verse in the Bible is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It lets me know that other followers of Christ even are highlighting, underlining, trying to say that verse needs to be true in my life. 
Now, I wonder if the Bible is really right. Is it really correct when it says, be anxious for nothing? I sure wish it said, be anxious for less. That'd be a little easier to to achieve. Uh, Be a little less stressed, a little less worried. But it doesn't say that. It says, be anxious for nothing. On my own journey, here's one thing that I've come to understand that I fully have embraced that has been a huge help for me that I hope is a help for you on this morning. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. It doesn't have to be a prison in our lives. Now, what in the world does this have to do with the resurrection? How does this tie into the resurrection? See, I was rereading the the story a number of weeks ago, and it just dawned on me, we know the ending. We know that there is a resurrection, but Jesus' disciples didn't. They suffered a little anxiety in those three or four days that I think we can relate with at some level. Let's start actually with Jesus. All right, Jesus is is on the the night before he's betrayed. He gathers his disciples, and he has this meal, and then he says these words, one of you is going to betray me. Have you ever had somebody betray you? Ever have a friend or a coworker or a spouse that didn't fulfill their end of the bargain of till death do us part and you're left holding the bag? Stressed? Anxious? When that happened, now you know a little bit of what Jesus felt on the night that he was betrayed. Uh, what about, you know, when Jesus was uh, praying, he called his disciples and said, hey, this is the hour of my need. I just need you to pray with me for an hour. And his disciples fell asleep. There was somebody fall asleep at a time when you needed them. They weren't there. You were there for them time and time and time again. And the one time in your life that you were hoping that they would be there for you, they didn't show up. Create anxiety and stress in your life. Jesus himself, right? He goes and he prays and he says, God, if there's any other way, yet not my will, but yours be done. And it says that he sweat drops of blood out of the pores of his skin. Now you can Google that and you can see that that actually is a medical condition that can take place with the most extreme anxiety that someone can feel. So Jesus himself, even though he knows the outcome, had extreme anxiety the night before he was going to be killed. Well, what about the disciples, right? So how stressed would they have been when they saw Jesus being taken away? And they're running and fleeing for their lives, not knowing what's going to happen. I mean, they, they gave their life to this man for the last three years plus. They gave everything. They switched careers. They followed this pathway. Has that ever happened in your life? One day you just show up and you get fired. You weren't seeing it coming. You were headed down. You put your life into something and then the bottom falls out. And you're like, what do I do now. Now add to that, you're fleeing for your life, and now you understand what the disciples would have felt. Think they were stressed? Think they were a little anxious? What about Peter himself? (laughs) Peter, who stood before his fellow followers of Christ and said, hey, Jesus, hey, if anybody's going to deny you, it's not going to be me. I will stand with you to the death. And then when that rooster crowed, and he realized he denied him, not once, twice, but three times, and then the Bible says he went off and wept bitterly. What, what do you think his experience was for the next two and a half days? Ever made a mistake in your life? Ever made a major mistake and just really blown it? And you can't blame anybody else but you. The anxiety and the stress that you felt for that period of time. All the what-if games. I wish I could go back and change some of those things I said or the circumstances that I did. That was Peter. What about the rest of them? When they saw or they heard about that Jesus is actually dead, that he is gone, that he's died on the cross, that the dream is over. 
Have you ever had somebody die in your life that you loved? Ever go through that situation? You're in a fog for a season, but then there's great stress and anxiety in the midst of and through that. When my dad died five years ago, I can hardly remember shortly after the, the days and even weeks past that time. And yet the times that I do remember is, gosh, just sorrow, but yeah, but filled with stress and anxiety. And those of you who've lost loved ones, you know this to be true in your life as well. Now we know what the disciples are feeling. See, we know the end, but they were living that moment. And if anybody understands stress or anxiety, it's Jesus and his disciples. But here's good news. No, let me say it this way. Here's great news. Is the resurrection gives us a different vantage point and it helps us tremendously with anxiety. We call this resurrection perspective. In other words, when you believe, when you trust, when you know that the resurrection is true, it gives you perspective. See, Jesus says these words in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he asks Mary and Martha, do you believe this? And we have to make that same choice. Do we believe that? Because if you believe, if you embrace, and you begin to live with a resurrection perspective, it immediately takes whatever you're ever going to go through, however hard, however painful, however challenging, however stressful, whatever life brings your way, you have a perspective of something good to look forward to. You have a perspective that you can hold on to in the midst of the storm, and it doesn't take away all the anxiety, but it definitely takes it from here, and it brings it down here. The times when I was most anxious in this last year and year and a half was when I lost that perspective. I was so consumed with me, so consumed with what I was going through. But as soon as I put my perspective on Jesus, as soon as I put my perspective on, okay, no matter how bad this is, there will be a better tomorrow or in the end, it will be better. It puts it from here to here. It doesn't all go away, but it gives us a perspective. It was the same thing for the disciples. Right? I, I imagine their fear. They're cowering. They're fearing for their lives. They don't know what's going to happen. And Mary goes to the tomb. He's not there. Imagine how fast Mary ran back to tell the disciples and how they ran to go see if it was really true. I mean, they're instantly, in a moment, they went from mourning to dancing, from death to life, from uh, stress and anxiety to peace and calm. The resurrection gave them a perspective that when it got hard, because you read through the rest of the scriptures, it got hard for them. They would have a perspective beyond the grave that could help them get through of whatever stress and anxiety they were going through. The resurrection is that important in our lives. What's fascinating also is Jesus doesn't say, I am the resurrection, believe in me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says it's not just about eternity, but it's about this life also. And that's why he says in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's a new pathway that God provides, a new perspective, a new way to live in this life that can begin to take and put our stress and anxiety. We will have trouble, Jesus says, but he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. I'm gonna help you through this. I'm gonna try to bring some calm in your life so that you and I can experience the peace that surpasses all understanding that'll guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. How do we experience that? Well, that's what we're gonna spend the next four weeks looking at. How do we experience that calm in our lives? We celebrate, we ask we leave and we meditate. So next week, we're going to talk about celebrating God's goodness. 
What does that look like to rejoice in the Lord always or to ask God for help to let a request be made known to God or on Mother's Day to talk about leaving your concerns with Him with thanksgiving and then four weeks from today to meditate on good things, to think about things that are good and worthy of praise. So I want to encourage you, if you're a person who goes through worry, anxiety, or stress, to join us these next four weeks to see if it makes any difference in the trajectory and the path of your life. And I think we can go on this journey together and understand that there is a perspective and there is a way of dealing with it that maybe we've not fully engaged ourselves in that could help us through seasons of stress, of anxiety, and worry in our lives. But I've got to ask you, I'm not going to try to twist your arm, I'm not going to try to you know, emotionally convince you into something, but I need to ask you the same question that Jesus asked Mary and Martha. Because the foundation is resurrection. The foundation is putting our trust, our lives into Jesus' hand. And it's hard because we want to maintain control. It's hard because we want to be in this situation or circumstance at times. And so Jesus asked them, do you believe this? And so I need to ask you, do you believe this? The choice, as we say around here often, is yours. There's a part you're going to have to play on this journey There's a part God is going to play on this journey, and there's a part our church can help facilitate on this journey, which is what we want to invite you on. Uh, Last week, we um, ended a a series, a Bible series, that we call it Rooted, you know, around here. And it was a 10-week series, and we had about 200, 250 adults that were in this room last Sunday night. And at one point in our uh, celebration, you know, moment, there was about a person or so from each group who got up in front of everybody and gave their testimony. But their testimony was written on a a a cardboard card and what it said was on one side it said this is where i was 10 weeks ago and then this is the new journey they would flip it on the other side this is the new journey that i'm on and so i began to think about that this week and and so i wrote down my own and it goes a little longer you know than 10 weeks this is what i would say my last two years have honestly been this has been my journey that i've been on But what's been so encouraging, especially in the last year, is I'm experiencing this a lot more. I'm experiencing the the reality of connection with Christ and with other people. And like I said, it doesn't solve it all, but it gives us a way forward, and I don't have to do it alone, which is what we want to invite you into as well. So like we said, the choice is yours. So my prayer and my hope is that you came here for a reason and that God has met you and you're beginning to have a perspective that may be beyond whatever you're going through. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ or you've wandered from him, you've got your mind focused on your life and your perspective, I pray that you would be interested or willing in praying this simple prayer after me. It's just a few words. Just pray this in your heart and mind to God. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. God, I pray that you would just help us all to have resurrection perspective. Father, we would recognize the path that uh, we are currently living on and we recognize maybe some shortcomings or areas that we're not really meeting or even our own internal expectations. We might appear, Lord, like things are going good on the outside, but help us to see how we're really believing and acting on the inside. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.